Good morning. It's good to be here. Um, even the thin crowd we have, thankful for everybody that's here. Um, let's start with some prayer, please. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for another Sunday. And thank you for the opportunity to give this message. Uh, Lord, I just uh, ask that you uh, work on all of our hearts, Lord, uh, and help us to constantly keep Jesus in front of us. To always have his spirit and his attitude when it comes to things. Lord, please uh, help me with this message and uh, thank you so much for um, your word that we can stand on. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. We're going to talk about the pride of life today and I tremble a little bit with this message because it's, uh, it's, I think, very, very important. And a lot of times we don't talk about it. It's one of those things that's kind of like most people know, but very few people talk about. And um, my children are always like a story. I have a very short, very short story because I have a lot of material to cover. but. Um, when I was flying the 787 as a captain in, in China, I used to think, I got to the point where I was very comfortable with the plane. I, and um, I knew my job very well. And sometimes I would come, on, come in on approach with like 300 passengers in the back. Maybe it's a challenging day or maybe not. And I'm thinking, I'm the man. I, I look at this, I'm a captain of 787 and I'm gonna do the greatest landing ever. And the very next thought come in my, to my mind is pride cometh before the fall. And I started thinking that as when those thoughts crossed my mind and um, anyway, so I'm gonna talk about the pride of life. And so start with just a quick verse. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. And I would think you know, pride cometh before the fall. This is where that, that um, comes from this verse. So there's a good, there is a good type of pride. Um, <clears throat> as a father, I was prou proud when my son Isaac learned to ride a bike. Uh, is proud when my children do something or can be proud and whatever. But when it starts, crosses over to um, the Lord, then it gets very serious very fast. There's also some pride, good type of pride that happens in the Bible too. Think about um, Paul 
maybe a little bit bragging about the churches that uh, are going on. And, but it was always toward God's work and what God was doing among, uh, among the people. So I don't think it's wrong in scriptures to have a positive pride when it comes to exalting God. Okay. But we'll talk about pride as a negative. <clears throat> bad, bad pride is what I'll call it, is throughout scriptures also. Uh, in fact, the more I looked, the more I saw it. It's everywhere. And it's also everywhere in our society today. <clears throat> so, as I said, bad pride, we'll just say pride from now on, includes the ideas of arrogance, self-centeredness, insensitivity to others, conceit, haughtiness, a scoffer or mocker. It is sinful when an individual shifts their ultimate confidence from God to self. And this started even before Adam and Eve. If you could turn to Isaiah 14, verse 12. <clears throat> we'll read verse 12 to 15. How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground, which didst weaken the nations? For thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. Yet thou shalt be brought down to hell, to the sides of the pit. <clears throat> so, how many times, I didn't count, but how many times was I said in this passage? I will ascend, I will exalt, I will be like the Most High. This is the sin of pride right here. And it started, like I said before, Adam and Eve. God is a jealous God, and he will not share his glory with another. You also see in this passage, it's a heart condition. Right, what we call a heart condition. So even if I don't say, I'm the man, I'm, I'm the best pilot ever, okay? If I think it, it's wrong. It's, and that's what Lucifer did here, you know. He had said in his heart, I will ascend, I will be the man, I will be like God. So now, if you could please turn over to Genesis chapter 3. We have to cover this passage for sure. <clears throat> I'm 
I'll read uh, Genesis 3, 1 through 6. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field, which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said unto the serpent, <clears throat> We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die. For God doth know that in that day, in the day you eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. <clears throat> the devil used the pride as an avenue to seduce Adam and Eve. He arrogantly contradicted what God said to Eve about eating the forbidden fruit and charged God with lying. When he said, hath God said? Did he really say that? Okay, look at what's happening. He's basically introducing unbelief and doubt into Adam and Eve's mind. Did God really say that? Are you sure? And belief, unbelief is the seed so pride is the root, and what grows from pride is unbelief, and then doubt about what God said, and then the truthfulness and reliability of God. In the next breath, the devil drew her into a deeper deception by contending that God's reason for lying was to keep her from enjoying all the possibilities inherent in being godlike. This clever ploy was aimed at undermining Eve's confidence in the goodness and love of God and arousing the desire to become as God. The desire to lift up and exalt ourselves beyond our place as God's creature lies at the heart of pride. As Eve, in her now confused and deceived state of mind, considered the possibilities. Her desire to become godlike grew stronger. So what was inconceivable before, all of a sudden became conceivable. So before the serpent said, hath God said? Before that happened, Eve never doubted what God said. There was no unbelief, and there was no need for pride. <clears throat> but as soon as it says, hath God said, did God really mean that? What did he really mean? Okay, all of a sudden the seed of doubt is introduced. Once the seed of doubt is introduced, then <clears throat> desire increased, giving rise to rationalization 
and corresponding and a corresponding erosion of the will to resist and say no. So it started out, hath God said, and then it was, oh, maybe I don't actually trust what God said. And then rationalization, well, I'm sure it's not that bad. And then an erosion of a resistance to say no. So unbelief, pride, and then ensnared by self-deception. Eve opted to go her own way and disobeyed God's command. So in a few subtle moves, the devil was able to use pride to bring about Adam and Eve's downfall and plunge the human race into spiritual ruin. This ancient but all too familiar process confronts us each day. This is not an old, this is an old problem that's the exact same problem as we have today. <clears throat> James 1, 14 to 15. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. From this point on in the Bible, we see the outworking of pride and unbelief in the affairs of individuals, families, nations, and cultures. As people lose or suppress the knowledge of God, spiritual darkness grows and a psychological inversion occurs, which what that means is in their thinking, God becomes smaller and they become larger. It's the opposite of what John the Baptist said. He must increase and I must decrease. This is psychological inversion. The center of gravity in their mental lives shifts from God to themselves. They become the center of the world. And by the way, when I say thee, I mean we, me. And God is conveniently moved to the periphery, either through flat-out denial of his existence or a distortion of his character. Self-importance and godless self-confidence grow stronger. The cycle that follows is familiar. People exalt themselves against God, and then it turns out they exalt themselves over other people. Pride increases, arrogance and abusive behavior ensues, and people suffer. Our history and today's culture suffer from man's pride, and we see its marks everywhere. Thinking that we are better than our, uh, others, racism, prejudice, suppression of others, even slavery, which happens even today. The reason is people are pushing God to the side and exalting themselves. They're going to rely, we will rely on our own, on our own wisdom, on our own strength. And by the way, as we harness uh, 
our intellect, okay, God is pushed more and more to the side. And I'm not saying throw out intellect. What I'm saying is, hey, we've invented cars, planes. We've conquered and go around the world. Our scientific achievements, okay? People will put science on a pedestal and push God to the side. I'm not against science. I'm just saying this is where the pride of man has led us. Which is ironic that even, <clears throat> sorry, First uh, John 2, 16. There's several verses I'd like to read just speaking about pride in the Bible. First John 2, 16. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but it is of the world. Proverbs 8. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil, pride and arrogancy and the evil way and the froward mouth do I hate. God hates pride. It's not just, oh, it's not that good. God hates it. He's a jealous God. Proverbs 11, when pride cometh, then cometh shame, but with the lowly is wisdom. It's like I did a message many months ago when Opposite day, when up is down and down is up. This is almost how pride is. Proverbs 16, everyone that is proud in heart is an abomination to the Lord. By mercy and truth, iniquity is purged, and by the fear of the Lord, men depart from evil. Psalm 10, the wicked through the pride of his countenance will not seek after God. God is not at all in his thoughts. James 4, but he giveth more grace. Wherefore, he saith, God resisteth the proud, but give grace to the humble. Pride is our greatest enemy. Humility is our greatest friend. Pride is the deadliest of vices, but it is celebrated in our culture. Pride and arrogance are conspicuous among the rich powerful, the successful, the famous, and even among religious leaders. Look at our society's obsession with superheroes. It stems from our desire to have more power than others. This is pride. In cinema, we are drawn to gun-toting tough guys and silly, bombastic women. Has Cinema ever portrayed humility, true humility? I thought about uh, President Putin. It's pride. He said, I will make Russia great again. It's pride caused him to invade Ukraine, causing thousands of deaths and huge amount of destruction. Pride throughout the the world, these leaders have had ideas of pride that have led to millions of deaths and countless ruin.
who say ultimate power leads to ultimate corruption. But pride is also alive and well in ordinary people, including me. Pride is the root of a rebellious attitude, strife, and anti-authority, and especially talking about in the church. Jealousness, adultery, inappropriate relationships, arrogance, backbiting, abortion, violence, death. It's an attitude that wants to throw off the constraints God has imposed. I don't have to listen to God. I can make my own choices. I have rights. Okay, This is all pride, and it's something that God hates. Especially in society, humility is often seen as a weakness, and few of us, I believe, know how to pursue it properly. Pride is subtle. It creeps in. And doing the work of God or pursuing things of God, pride, pride is right there, ready to creep into our thoughts. I preached a pretty good sermon today. I'm really working for God. I gave a lot of money to the church. Doing things for God doesn't mean pride is out the window. Pride is right there, ready to sneak in. We can often see pride in other people easier than we can see it in ourselves. And almost most of the time, pride's in, the, in our heart, in our thoughts, because it's often not socially acceptable to boast. Like, I would never finish and say, oh, I did such a great sermon to everybody, right? But it's wrong for me to think that. It's wrong for the pride to sneak in. And it's our job to combat that. This is a quote. There can be no sure proof of confirmed pride than a belief that one is sufficiently humble. I'm so humble is pride right there. C.S. Lewis called it the greatest sin. I have a quote, I thought it was very appropriate. According to Christian leaders, the essential vice, the utmost evil, is pride. Unchastity, anger, greed, drunkenness, and all that are mere flea bites in comparison. It was through pride that the devil became the devil. Pride leads to every other vice. It is the complete anti-God state of mind. It is pride which has been the chief cause of misery in every nation and every family since the world began. It is the devil's most effective and destructive tool. Jonathan Edwards said in 1737, 1737 is almost 300 years ago, the first and worst cause of errors that abound in our day and age is spiritual pride. This is the main door by which the devil comes into the hearts of those who are zealous for the advancement of Christ. It is the chief inlet of smoke from the bottomless pit 
to darken the mind and mislead the judgment. Pride is the main handle by which he has hold of Christian persons and the chief source of all mischief that he introduces to clog and hinder the work of God. Spiritual pride is the main spring and at least the main or at least the main support of all other errors. Until this disease is cured, medicine medicines are applied in vain to heal all other diseases. Until we get a handle on our pride, all these other errors can creep in. A clear example of the stories of the Pharisee and the tax collector. Uh, Luke 18, please. Luke 18, 10 through 14. Two men went up into the temple to pray, the one a Pharisee and the other a publican. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank thee that I am not as other men are, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this publican. I fast twice in the week, I give tithes of all that I possess. And the publican, standing afar off, would not so much as lift his eyes unto heaven, but smote upon his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For every one that exalteth himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. So the Pharisee pats his back, pecks himself on the back for keeping the law. Here we have the pride wrapped in the cloak of religion and giving it a bad name. But Jesus concluded, everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Do we think, oh, thank God I'm not like that Pharisee, right? Still, so close, so subtle, so deceptive. We should bear in mind that the, the apostles themselves were infected by pride and disputed among one another about who is going to be the greatest. Sadly, self-promotion in pursuit of reputation, influence, and, quote, success is evidence in some ministry leaders even today. But if the apostles had to struggle with it, who walked with Jesus physically, who are we to think that we're exempt of that? The Christian road is littered with fallen ministry leaders. The fall of televangelists like Jim and Tammy Baker, at their height in the late 70s and early 80s, there was over $1 million each week in contributions. But in 1987, 
sexual and financial scandals brought down this ministry. Or Benny Hinn, who claimed he could wave his hand over the crowd and hear thousands, even through the TV. Now his ministry is rocked with scandals on congressional investigation and misappropriation of funds. Recently in 2016, Jerry Falwell Jr., former president of Liberty University, was ensnared in a scandal as recently as, well, 2016. He and his wife's reply was, nobody's perfect. But this was all pride brought down these people. Pride can be summarized as an attitude of self-sufficiency, self-importance, and self-exaltation in relation to God. Pride is a spiritual cancer. This is C.S. Lewis. Pride is a spiritual cancer. It eats up the very possibility of love, contentment, or even common sense. Pride provokes God's displeasure, and he has committed himself to oppose it. If your pride causes you to exalt yourself, you are just asking for God to chastise you, and he will. For he, has he has declared his determination to bring low whatever he find, wherever he finds it, whether among angels or humans, believers or unbelievers. It was pride that caused Lucifer to be cast out of heaven and Adam and Eve to be cast out of Eden. And it is our pride that will be our undoing if we tolerate it in our lives. It truly is our greatest enemy. So, like a snake bite, there needs to be an antidote, right? Humility is the antidote for the sin of pride. I have a lot of bad news, so now here's the good news. God does not want to punish us or bring us low, but rather to forgive and restore us when we try to be humble. He says it again and again in scriptures, humble yourselves and I will exalt you. This gives us hope and encouragement. God takes pleasure in our efforts to humble ourselves and he loves to bless and exalt the humble. But humility is not to be confused with weakness. <clears throat> In fact, it takes a great deal of strength to resist our prideful thoughts. But admittedly, humility and humbleness is out of fashion in today's world. And it even seems unappealing to most of us. However, as Jonathan Edwards said, we must view humility as one of the most essential things that characterizes true Christianity. Our perspective on humility can be radically changed if we ponder and meditate on the great example of humility in history, our Lord Christ Jesus. By the very fact of leaving heaven, coming to earth, and taking the form of man, he demonstrated an unfathomable 
humbling of himself. We used to sing a refrain in the evangelical church. I don't know if I've heard it here. Sing, you came from heaven to earth to show the way. From the earth to the cross, my debt to pay. From the cross to the grave, from the grave to the sky, Lord, I lift your name on high. Christ came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life for a ransom for many. Even on the last night with his disciples, he took a towel and a basin and washed their dirty feet, instructing them to follow his example of servanthood with one to another. To think that my Lord washed the dirty feet of these men. I mean, unbelievable humility. Philippians 2, 3 through 11. Let nothing be done through strife or vain glory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore, God hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of things in heaven, of things on earth, and things under the earth. Excuse me. And that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. In Jesus, we have the example of all examples. Those who humble themselves will be exalted. But it's important to remember, we're not humbling ourselves to be exalted. Don't worry about the exalting. God will take care of that. Just worry about the humility and stamping out pride. How do, you gain, how do we gain the mind of Christ and humble ourselves? To put on the mind of Christ, we must make a firm decision to ponder, understand, and adopt Jesus' way of thinking. His values and attitude must become ours. His strong emphasis on humility and meekness and his example of it must take hold of our thinking, our desires, and our contact, uh, conduct. We must admire his humility and want it for ourselves. For this to happen, we need to earnestly and regularly pray for the Holy Spirit to change our hearts, for it is impossible to do it in our own strength. We'll also need to understand what Jesus meant when he called men and women to, be hum to humble themselves. 
If pride is the exalted sense of who we are in relation to God and others, humility is having a realistic sense of who we are before God and others. We must not think too highly or even too lowly of ourselves. Rather, rather we must be honest and realistic about who and what we are. Romans 12, in other words, humility is having a right view of ourselves in relation to God and others and acting accordingly. What is the right view of ourselves? Specifics will vary from person to person, but certain things are common to us all. We are all God's creatures, small, infinite, I'm sorry, small, finite, dependent, limited in intelligence and ability, prone to sin and soon to die and face God's judgment. We are also God's children, created, loved, and redeemed by God's grace alone, not by anything of ourselves and gifted by God with certain unique gifts, abilities, resources, and advantages which are to be used for his glory. Paul reminds the Corinthians, what do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? Having a right view of ourselves has a profound effect in our relationship with others. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly, Romans 12. And he said to the Philippians, do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility, count others more significant than, your, than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but the interests of others. Our job is to refuse to be preoccupied with ourselves and to exalt God in all things. Humility is our greatest friend. As far as I'm not talking about not being the greatest friend with Jesus, but he is the example of humility. Humility increases our hunger for God's word and opens our heart to his Holy Spirit. It leads to an intimacy with God. Who knows the proud from afar, but dwells with a contrite and lowly spirit. Developing the identity, attitude, and conduct of a humble servant does not happen overnight. And I think we all know this. It is rather like the peeling of an onion. Just when you think you got the first layer, there's another layer of pride. But with our desire and our looking to Jesus, we can stamp out that pride and have more humility. It takes, it's a work of a lifetime. And it is a grace that is precious in the sight of God. 
who in due course will exalt all who embrace it. As God works in our heart and we work and desire to stomp, stomp out pride and focus on humility, will change our relationship with God and will change our relationship with each other. And it cannot be go unnoticed in society because society has completely been drawn away with pride. I just pray that God has mercy on me and all of us and that we can uh, confess when we have pride in our hearts and when it rises up to pull it out and stamp it down as soon as possible because it's not that it will never be there but it's important that we recognize it as soon as possible and confess and stomp it out and turn to Christ and God, may God have mercy on us and help us to see his majesty because the more we see his majesty, the less we see of I, I, I will, I will. <clears throat> Thank you.